We, we pray especially today for the Patel family as they've had a major loss in what just seems like a, uh, just a horrible, horrible thing to happen to such a young family. God, I pray for that family. I pray for the, the young daughter that they have who's now going to be raised possibly without a, without a mom. And I pray that if there's any way we can reach out to them and minister to them, God, that we'll find it. And God, I pray that this would draw them closer to you or, or close to you. And we thank you and praise you, God, that Ed can be here with us. And after this ordeal that he's gone through with his health, I pray that he'll continue to make great strides and that you'll heal him. And we just thank you for all this in your name. Amen. Uh, so, for those of you who missed the first two messages in this series, uh, or even for those of you who heard the first two messages in this series, you're going to get a little bit of a review at the beginning, just because we're going to try to bring all of it together today. Today is the last of this series, and we're really going to try to cement it home. And um, part of the reason is the only way I seem to know how to teach is just to keep repeating myself. So you're going to get to hear it again. Um, also, if you ever miss a service, all of our messages are on our website, both Keith and mine and the guest speakers. So anytime you miss church, you can go to the website and listen to them. So if you want to go back, you can listen to them. So we started off this series by taking an assessment of, of where we are right now. Most of us in this room have been Christians for a while, but we talked about how it's important to every once in a while stop and say, where am I actually? You know, where am I compared to where I know God wants me to be? And we hopefully were taking sort of an honest snapshot and say, even if I've been a Christian for 30 years, I still struggle with whatever it was for you. I still struggle with addiction. I still struggle with whatever. And just say that it's all right to have those still as long as we're trying to strive toward what God wants us to be. So most of us in this room know usually when we're not doing something. I know when I'm not praying enough. I know when I'm not in God's word enough. But taking a few minutes to say, but what am I, how about, what kind of father am I? What kind of husband am I? What kind of leader am I? What kind of effect do I have in my workplace? What kind of relationships do I have? So actually taking a minute and saying, how are all these things compared to what God would have them be? The second part of that assessment was to then go to God's word and say, I'm struggling with these things. What does he want me to be? He, it's pretty well spelled out for us, right? We went through Colossians. We looked at a bunch of things there. Um, in your notes today, I've got several references. You can go to Romans 12. You can go to Ephesians 4. You can go to Colossians 2 and 3. Just for that sort of, what does the Christian life really look like? What should a Christian look like if they're striving to see God's face? If you skipped that part, the rest of this isn't going to matter much. God's Word is what the Holy Spirit uses as a catalyst to drive us, to change us, to bring to light what's in our lives. Between that and prayer, that's what the Holy Spirit's using. So if you miss this part and don't make God's Word central, the rest of what we're going to talk about is just, it's going to be impossible. So read through God's Word and pray it into your life. 
and then look for his promises that we believe are true, right? I hope everybody here believes in the infallibility of God's Word. And actually, next week in Sunday school, that's what we're going to talk about, is the infallibility of God's Word. If you believe it's true, then his promises are true. And then all throughout it, he lays out promises. Here's what I'd like you to do, and here's the benefit of it. Here's what I'd like you to do, and then you'll see this in your life. So trust in his promises. So we're going to start off today looking at two references that give you sort of two sides of the spectrum. As I'm talking here, if you want to look up Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, 6 through 13 is where we're going to start. And this passage is going to look at what it looks like when you are seeking after God. And then we're going to look at Mark for a minute and show maybe what it looks like when you're not, when it's all about you. Uh, while we're looking it up, would somebody mind shutting that other door? That it sounds like the cars are making it harder to hear. Alvis got it. Okay. All right. Isaiah 55, starting at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever." This is what God's promises can do in your life. This is a great, this is a, a beautiful snapshot of seeking God, seeking his promises and what that then does for you. I want what this passage has. But am I willing to give up what I have now for it? This passage isn't easy, doesn't come natural. And I have lots of things that I'm really comfortable with. Am I willing to give those up so I can see this awesome running around with the trees clapping their hands deal? Do I want that? Do I want to be able to give up the silliness that I have for that? So when we throw off our evil ways, like it says, and unclean thoughts and seek God, it says we'll find mercy. I'd like to, I need to find some more mercy. I don't know about you, when we look to fulfill his promises um, that he's made, that's when we can fulfill the purpose for which he's created us. There's a reason that you're here. There's a reason that I'm here. And I'm stuck with this sinful body while I'm here. But there's a reason I'm here and there's a reason that he put me in Interlaken and he put you guys in this church so that you'll minister to a certain set of people. 
And that's really the whole reason. I know it seems like it sounds more fun that he put us here to, to watch football. That sounds good to me. Or to play fantasy football again, that sounds good to me. But it isn't why he put me here. I'm allowed to enjoy things just like you guys. But am I seeking this primary reason that I'm here? So I don't know about you, but I want to go out with joy and be led forth with peace rather than going out with depression and letting anxiety and stress drive my life. Because it's more than willing to. Even creation will respond to him. So in your notes, um, take an honest assessment. And while we seek God, his promises are fulfilled in, in our lives. Those are the first two. Okay, so let's look at the other passage. This is the passage I'm often stuck with. I want what Isaiah has, but I'm often stuck with this thing Jesus is about to give the Pharisees. He's about to pick on the Pharisees again because they're a really good example for Christians about what not to do. So turn, if you would, to Mark 7. Mark 7, and we're going to go through verses 5 through 20 because Jesus is... um, going to speak to them here. Starting out, verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciple live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So he's starting right off with the Pharisees. This is their deal, right? Got to live by every, every single rule all the way down to how your hands are when you touch a certain thing. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called to the crowd and said to them, Listen to me, everyone. And understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. There's a lot going on in this passage, but I read the whole thing so you'd see sort of how Jesus spoke to these guys. And he, he talks to them about, look at all these rules you've made that are just human traditions, and they're literally void 
for the kingdom of heaven. You know the scriptures really, really well, but because you've put all your own human stuff into it, it's literally void for me. It's no good. And no matter how powerful God's word is, we can make it void, at least to ourselves, at least to those around us. If you're a Christian and you can't, you're not living a Christian life, what does that say about God's word to other people? You know, we're all going to fail, that's true, but how do we deal with that failure? How do we act when we fail? Do we as Christians say, oh, you know, I, I, I hide my sin because I'm preaching to you guys, I'm not allowed to have sin anymore, right? You guys all believe that? I hope you don't believe that. We, re- we want to reach a certain status where we say, well, Jeremy should no longer be dealing with that kind of sin. I'm a Sunday school teacher, I'm a deacon, I'm an elder, whatever it is, I don't want to deal with that kind of sin anymore. So we shut up about it. We don't talk about it. And it's, that's where we get this hidden sin, and that's what we're going to talk about today. How do you deal with the hidden sin? We talked about taking an assessment, seeing where you are. Then we said, let's talk about putting self-control into our lives so that we can begin to have a mechanism for doing something differently. But you can still have that secret sin. And everyone in this room will have them. Not just me, fortunately. So we want what Isaiah laid out, but more often we have what the Pharisees had. Our own set of rules and our own set of what's important. It talks about that human tradition. The only real human tradition that we have that's common is sin. It's greed, it's slander, it's adultery, right? So if we're bringing our own into this, that's usually where we're going to miss it. Okay. So, like I said, last week we talked about self-control. And we talked about what, doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done. If God prompts you to do something, it isn't up to you to then wait three weeks to do it. And I found in my assessment that I do that. When I took this assessment, I said, you know what? When God lays something on my heart, I want to make it bigger than it is. So I want to do all this planning and all this other stuff. When really it was simple. God wanted me to talk to that person. God wanted me to call and encourage that person. He doesn't really want me to do it in three weeks when I'm ready. So I had to say, all right, how does self-control work for me? I got to decide when he lays something on my heart to do, that I'm going to do it right then. But if I don't say that, if I don't have self-control and I don't pre-decide to do that, when the time comes, I'm likely to put everything else ahead of that. It's really busy at work. It's really busy at my house. It's really busy at church. And so the one person who I needed to call that week to have an impact, I didn't do. It's easy for it to just slip away. Um, So... One of the other weaknesses I saw in myself then is that when a week starts to get crazy, I'm not in God's Word. So I had to use the assessment and then say, I'm going to have self-control and say, at the beginning of every day, I'm going to be with God, no matter what. If I have to get up 45 minutes earlier or whatever, that's where I'm going to start my day because I have a weakness. I have a weakness toward when things get crazy, I forget to do it. So now I'm taking the assessment that I found where I was wrong. I use self-control to say, this is what I'm going to do now. And it props me up. 
I pre-decided I'm always going to do it. So it just sort of helps eliminate my fear when the time comes. So we're going to move past that now. That's sort of your review. Um, so the two next lines are develop a spirit of self-control. You've got lots of good references there. And do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. So for those of you who have gone through this series with me, I hope that some of you have been encouraged. If you've tried to apply any of this, I hope that some of you have found that God has power over the sin in your life. I hope that you've seen some promise. But probably the other thing you've all seen is how difficult it is to go longer than three days. That's like the normal human thing is when we get really, I'm really excited about something. I'm going to make a big change in my life. I'm not going to do this. Three days is sort of the common thing. Unless you're really OCD and then you go eight days. And that's about it. You know, so we need something else here. We need one more piece to this puzzle. It's not all the pieces to this puzzle, but I'm trying to give you three that if you have them, it's a basis for maturity. It's a basis for putting this in your life, repeating, repeating, repeating to find maturity about something in your life that you've identified. So today we're going to talk about biblical accountability. People usually hear the word accountability and what do you think first? I don't... who wants to be held accountable for their actions? No, nobody, that's okay. You don't have to. Um, we don't like it. We don't like it. It's drawing something out that says, I did this. I want to be held accountable to somebody else. You know why? Because for people in church who have been there for 30 years, like I said before, they have secret sins that they're not allowed to talk about. Secret temptations that they're not allowed to talk about. Because you're supposed to be past it. So, biblical accountability is the thing that shines a light on it. It says, you know what? We all have sin. God knows you have sin. You're not getting anywhere by pretending it's not there. God knows you have sin. Let's shine a light on it, at least between you and one other person, to say, look, I struggle with this. I've struggled with it my whole life. I want you to help me be accountable. And you tell them. You confess. How many of you have ever confessed a sin to somebody? I know I have. What does it do for you? What do you usually feel after you've confessed? Freedom? Relief? Because now it's out. It's not just festering in your brain. It's not just festering in your heart anymore. It's out and somebody else is there to help encourage you. So we're going to talk through what this, what this might look like. Um, the more I work in business, the more I work in processes, the more I believe one phrase is true. Every day that you're not getting better, you're getting worse. There isn't a whole lot of neutral. You're either striving to get something better or you're going backwards. Usually because we're sinful. My norm, if I go back to the mean, it's a sinful place. And just because I've reached further on doesn't mean I can't go back. I think we should all remember that at any point in our lives, given the right circumstances, most of us could do just about anything. Those sins that you say would never happen to you, given just the right circumstances, could. And it's, just, it's important to remember that, that there's nothing that you're probably past. There's nothing that you can just do by yourself. 
I believe the, the Apostle Paul had this down pretty well. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9. And we're going to stay mostly in 1 Corinthians the rest of today. 1 Corinthians 9, and I'm going to start from uh, 24, and we're going to go through 27. We used this reference last week a little bit when we were talking about self-control. Now we're going to take it the next step. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So that first part, he's talking about self-control, right? We did, we did this last time. Um, he's not just boxing the air. He's not just running aimlessly. He has a plan for what he's going to do. But look at, look at how he ends it. Right after he gets done saying, I'm going to strike a blow to my body. I'm going to make it my slave. I'm going to make it do what I want it to do. So that after he has preached, he won't be disqualified. You think he means disqualified from the kingdom of heaven? No, he doesn't mean the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that given a certain amount of time and a certain amount of not seeking, even he would fall back. Even he who could have preached great words at the time could fall back. So this is important for us because if the Apostle Paul can fall back, then we can too. Um, just like he never outgrew the need to seek God's face, we never outgrow it. Um, you know, I do this sometimes. We talked about this to begin with when we're in um, stages of life. We like to think about the successes from the last stage in our life and assume it's going to continue on in the next stage. You can't assume it. It doesn't happen. You can talk about it. You can talk about how you had success. But if you're not continuing to strive toward God's face, you're going to lose it. It's going to go back. If you look at Israel, if you look at Saul, think about how Saul started off and then where he ended up. Or where Solomon started and where he ended up. Or King Asa, where he started and then where he ended up. And we're actually going to turn the page or just look across the page to 1 Corinthians 10. And Paul's going to explain exactly that. So this is 1 Corinthians 10, and we're going to do 1 through 13. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got, to in, and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. 
We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened as an example and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So Paul says these guys are the example of what not to do. These guys who saw great miracles. I mean, we read about them, but they got to see the Red Sea part. They got to follow that cloud. They got to eat manna from heaven. And yet, most of them are scattered in the wilderness. They, they couldn't stay to it. They couldn't keep after it. So let's look at a few things. Let's look at a few parts of this example really quickly. They overestimated their ability to overcome sin. Verse 12 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So just like us, their pride was a barrier to overcoming sin. We're going to find in a minute that pride is the biggest barrier to having these relationships I'm talking about. If your pride is too strong, it's not going to be easy to have a relationship with somebody where you have to tell them something bad that you did. Right? So the next thing was they thought their temptations were unique. This is funny. We, we do this. A lot of us do this. Even in our sin, we want to be special, right? Only I deal with that kind of sin. Only I deal with that kind of temptation. You know, I say to myself, no one else who's speaking in any church would ever deal with these kind of temptations. I say that to myself all the time. And what he's saying is, no matter how old you are, no matter how mature you think you are, temptations are common to mankind. Men are dealing with temptations in this room that dealt with temptations 10,000 years ago, and the same for women. They're common. They're not special. He's saying don't get caught up in them being special. So because of this, like I said, we reach a certain status and think we can't talk about it. Because we've come so far, we're no, no longer susceptible to sin. Um... So if we want to overcome sin, and we've done the assessment, which I hope everybody has at least looked at their lives for a minute and said, where am I? And then decided on several things that might help. What are some things that might help you get to the next step based on the God's word? There's one more thing here today, and it's probably obvious at this point, but what else did God give us? What else did God give us to help eradicate that sin in our lives? So I want everybody to look around for a second. Look around at the other people in this room. It's okay to look at them. It's, it's, you can roll your eyes that I'm making you do it. it. It'll be funny still. All right. These are the people that God has given you to make real change in your life. If you're in this church, these are the people that God has given you to help eradicate the sin in your life, to help hold you accountable. Maybe you weren't sure you liked what you saw when you looked around. Don't worry, neither, none of them were very happy about it either. You know, none of us want to look around and say, yep, I'm going to be accountable to whoever. But you know what? This church and every church 
Jesus has set up on purpose. There's supernatural power that he gives when the church does acts how it's supposed to act. And so when he says, be together, hold each other accountable, he's the one who provides the power. So if you look around and all you see is the failures in other people and the weaknesses, like how are they ever going to help me? Don't worry about it. It's not going to come from them. Jesus is going to say, you know what? If you need accountability, find somebody to be accountable to, and I will make that relationship blessed. I will be the one that prospers it. They're weak. They know they're weak. You know they're weak. It doesn't matter. It's going to make a change in your life. So let's go over to James 5. You don't have to turn every time now. I'm just going to read a few more passages about holding each other accountable before we finish. James 5, 13 through 16 says this. If anyone among you is, is anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, con- therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous, righteous person is powerful and effective. So this, this passage is primarily talking about the power of prayer in these situations. And he says, confess your sins to somebody else. And their prayers will be effective for you. When you get real with somebody and and no longer have just sort of superficial conversations that we all have, but actually get real and say, this is what's in my heart, and that person's praying for you, there is power there. That's where that power comes in that we were just talking about. Their prayers will be effective for you. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Does anybody believe or hope that the day is drawing near? I think a lot of people think that the day is drawing near. People have been thinking that for a long time, but... It could be drawing near. We're getting close to that. And he says, meet together. And how's he put it? He wants to see his readers persevere in their faith right up to the end of their lives. Not to shrink back, not to let that old sinful self pull you back toward the end or toward the middle, wherever you are, but to hold the hope you have in Christ all the way through. God has called his people to display display Christ-like tenderness and affection to each other and to the world and to long for the day when Christ will come and there will be a new world. All right, three parts of this. He believes that these relationships are crucial and this is how he gives it to you. These are pretty easy. Meet together. Stir up one another and encourage one another. So he's calling you to meet together in a setting in which you can do that. Does anybody feel like today, right sitting where you are right now, you can do that with each other? This is not really the setting for it. This is not the setting necessarily that that has those relationships. This is the teaching time of your week. 
but the rest of your time you're living in community together. That's where those relationships are going to start. What was it? So it was meet together, stir up one another, and encourage one another. So the word stir up here means to urge, to spurn on, to motivate. It also might be translated as provoke in some of your Bibles and can even mean to irritate. So everybody's off the hook. If you irritate each other, you're off the hook, right? Not what this is saying. Not what this is saying. You don't just get to irritate each other. Don't pick on Judy. All right. The word encourage means to call someone to your side in order to strengthen them with your words. It can talk about instructing, comforting, admonishing, warning, urging, begging, consoling. So in the context of this verse, it refers to Christians coming together to strengthen each other with an internal perspective. It's kind of key. An eternal perspective. Why are we coming together? Is it just social time today? Or is it, I want to get better. God's given me you guys to do that with. How am I going to do that today? Last verse, Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is still called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is exactly what we're talking about. If you're not doing this, if you're not active, sin will harden you. Sin will deceive you. Sin will take you the wrong direction. And it's built in. You can't get away from it. You have to strive against it. Um, The word here for encourage is the exact same word we just read in Hebrews that said exhort. Same key word. Encourage. Exhort one another. He's calling us to speak to one another in such a way that we sort of draw the, where's your heart? The sin that's in your heart, how can, how can somebody else help you draw that out and say, I want to get beyond this? All right, we're going to finish up really quickly. But I hope we're going to finish with a bang and finish like we want this church to be changed and like we want this community to be changed. Let's look at each other a little differently. I'm going to give you several things that are at the bottom of your notes as far as practical steps toward these accountability relationships. How do you find them? How do you have them? First one is humble yourself. Humble yourself. This is pretty obvious. If you can't humble yourself and be able to tell someone about your sin, this isn't going to work. Um, And humble yourself to the point where you think you need an accountability relationship. I've gone into accountability relationships because they needed it. Because I thought they needed it. Oh, this is going to be great. I'll tell them what they need. This is, this is perfect. God taught me a hard lesson because I went to it, into it thinking that person needed it, not that I needed it. Don't do that. It's not worth it. It's a hard lesson to find. Admit that you need it. Every one of, every one of us in this room needs it. Number two, Set reasonable expectations of these relationships. Reasonable expectations. The people in this room, not perfect today. They're not going to be perfect whenever you want to try to do this. Set reasonable expectations. A lot of the times, these relationships are very close bonds. And you can hurt each other, right? Because now you know something about them. You need to set up an accountability relationship with someone who loves you and is strong enough to give you the hard stuff. 
They love you. They want to see you do better. They're willing to say, you know what? I see, you know, you talked to me about that sin a while ago. I see you're right back to it. Let's talk about it. Let's not let it go under the rug anymore. This person's job is not to shame you. Let's make that clear. Their job is not to just address you by shaming you. The job of them is to just to not let you off the hook. Because this has to come from you. The accountability relationship has to be something you decided on. I decided on. I need it, and I then need this person to help hold me accountable. Number three, start at home. Your mate or your family is likely your first accountability relationship. It's important maybe not to leave it there because you're married. Outside wisdom, outside perspective is important to this because, again, you're married. Everyone who is married knows exactly what I'm talking about. But you've been weak in front of them, and that's okay. Number four, choose a person or group that will love and encourage you and exhort you. We just talked about this. It's up to you to choose. Um, We have two small groups in this church. I encourage all of you to be in one or both. Go to them and try to find these relationships. They aren't going to come find you. This is, that's the setting that you have to have those kind of relationships. You get in a small group, you study together, you hold each other accountable. <clears throat> Some people aren't going to be ready for this. Okay? And that's, that's going to be okay. If you go to somebody and they're not ready for it, you know, God's leading you a different direction. Don't let it crush you. Don't let it be the end of you trying. You know, seek after it anyway. But once you're in a group, go all in. Don't come sporadically. Don't never do the homework. Don't not be a part of it. If you're there, be all in. That's more important. That, that, That time together is more important than most everything else you're doing during the week. Go all in. Be a part of it and be willing to share. And do the leader a favor who's, who prepares. Do the homework. It's okay. And people who are in the group, if you see somebody not doing it, go to them. Say, you know, we're all trying here. We're all striving here. I see that maybe you're not there yet. How can I help you? Don't leave it up to the leader just to find out everybody else. All right, number five. Be honest. Be honest. If you have chosen someone that will love you and encourage you, then it's time to come clean the hard part, but get it over with. Get into the practice of confessing your sin to somebody else. Once you've set up an honest relationship like that, it becomes more natural to then confess. Also, it becomes more natural not to want to sin because I don't want to go confess to my best friend that I'm still struggling with that. But it doesn't matter. If you're doing it, be honest. I'll close with a simple statement or challenge if you haven't felt challenged enough yet. If you take time to assess where you are right now in your Christian walk and you have predecided, I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do, whatever He lays on my heart, and you've put things in your life to help control your weaknesses, to help prop you up where you know you're going to probably fail, put things into your life to help correct that, and then you get into one of these or two of these accountability relationships. That's, that's where you're going to see the basis for change. That sin that you, that's been driving you crazy forever, that's, all of a sudden it's going to go away pretty quickly. 
That's where the power to change is going to happen. If everybody in this room does it, this church will look like a different place next year. There's a lot of outcroppings of this. There's a lot of symptoms that are awesome. We read about them in Isaiah. There's awesome symptoms of seeking God's face the way he tells us to seek him. So I hope, I hope that everybody will take time to think about this at least. I know that these are hard. You know, they're simple to understand maybe, but they're really hard to implement. And I just, I, I pray that you'll consider it at least and try to go all in where maybe you haven't been in the past. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you and praise you for this group. I pray that you'll encourage and strengthen them today wherever they need it, God. And I pray that they will live you throughout the week, that somebody will see Jesus in them every single week, and, and for me as well, God. I pray that if someone here needs conviction, that you'll convict them. If they need encouragement, that you'll encourage them. And if you need to strengthen them, God, please strengthen them. I pray for these groups as they get started that they will be successful for you. That people will find in them a way to conquer this sin that we're all battling. I just thank you and praise you for all this. In your name, amen.